Today's reading is Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to drink. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we heard a text read from Matthew 25, which if if we've been in the church for any length of time, I'm assuming is kind of familiar to us. It's this vision that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, in which it's kind of like a judgment scene. And and Jesus is is telling the story of of this vision in in which the people will be separated, the Son of Man comes, um, and the angels with him, and he separates people like a shepherd would, sheep, would separate sheep from goats. And the sheep are on his right hand, um, and, and the goats are on his left hand. And he says, those that will receive the blessing of my Father are those who, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Um, and he goes on and on and on. And, and, and the vision is, is one of, of people whom Jesus names as the righteous, confused, saying, well, Jesus, when did we, um, when did we see you that way? Uh, and he says, well, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then, of course, the, the inverse is true of, of, of the goats, where he says, you know, I was, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me something to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Um, depart from me. And the people were like, well, Jesus, when did we... When did we see you this way? And Jesus is, of course, well, because you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. 
And so this is a text that I think is, is one in which that's, that's, the power of the text is, I think, the tension it leaves us in. And my, hope, my desire is not to relieve that tension. I need that tension. Because what it does is it puts this text up against my life and it actually begs the question, how, what type of life am I living in relation to people that are around me? And we're in a series right now, a year-long series, which we've titled A Beautiful Risk, with the idea of, of wanting to see where love takes us. And we've suggested that that risk begins with really two main risks. And the first is letting God love us. And the first couple months we kind of landed there thinking about the ways that God loves us and the ways that we might let God love us, be open to his love. And then the second risk is, is to the risk of loving God and loving neighbor. And we've been in, in, in sight, landed on this subject for the last month, really exploring the idea of, of what does it mean to risk in loving God and loving neighbor and how connected those two things are. And so we come to a text like this, potentially a familiar text, and I think it's important to let the text keep us in tension because it does seem to suggest that the way that we treat others around us does have some sort of effect on the way that we relate to God. Like it's actually directly connected. And the part of this text that I feel like is, is extremely relevant, at least to my life, and I think to us as a church, is that moment at the end of verse 35, when Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. He says that to the righteous or to the unrighteous. I was a stranger and you didn't welcome me. And I've, I've been thinking about that, that moment, that part of it, all week long. Because I think maybe more than any other time, or perhaps I'm just older so I have more, like better eyes to see it, is that, that we are more strange to one another than ever before. That people are more other than it seems like we have been. We've, we're more separated and detached and disconnected than I can, that I at least have known or remember. And that our strangeness to one another instead of actually cause for curiosity, has now been reason for our dismissal. That because people are strangers to us, we actually dismiss them. Because someone is different or strange to me, I can actually dismiss them. And here's the power of this text, is that people, the least of these, the stranger among us, is actually an opportunity to encounter Christ. That my engagement with my neighbor, the least of these or the stranger, is actually an opportunity to either meet or miss Jesus. And that, I think, is something that's been very convicting for me. And as we think about this, as we think about the church historically, taking this text seriously, the Christian church has actually believed that our dealing with the least of these, our dealing with those who are strangers to us, is actually rooted in God's interaction with us. Rodney Stark is, is like a sociologist studying really historical sociology, specifically 
the Christian church and has really asked the question, how is it in the first centuries of the church that it actually gained momentum so quickly and had such a widespread effect on the world? How is that actually possible? And Rodney Stark, a sociologist, isn't asking this question necessarily as a Christian, but more as an agnostic. And so he's more curious just about the question, how is that possible? And one of the things that he concludes in his book, The Rise of Christianity, or in many of the books that he writes, is that one of the reasons why the church spread so quickly and so far and so wide is particularly because Christians cared for those around them, actually looked out for the least of those among them, actually invited in the stranger that was around them. What's actually fascinating is that the Christian church in the history, in, in the Greek world, this idea of mercy, this idea of looking out for the, those who are other than you, is actually something that, that the pagan philosophers of the time thought it was a pathological problem. That mercy was an actual pathological emotion, that it actually meant that you are crazy. And so they would look at these Christians and they would say, you are crazy for caring about those, the least of those among you, for inviting in the stranger. And he says this, this was the moral climate in which Christianity taught that mercy is one of the primary virtues, that a merciful God requires humans to be merciful. Moreover, the corollary that because God loves humanity, Christians, Christians may not please God unless they love one another was even more incompatible with pagan convictions. But the truly revolutionary principle was that Christian love and charity must extend beyond the boundaries of family and even those of faith to all in need. So Christians were were radical and remarkable because they said, no, we are going to extend this idea of love and mercy to all those who are in need. We are going to love our neighbors. We are going to take seriously what Jesus says in Matthew 25. And what's really fascinating is actually the emperor of the time, Julian, he wanted to, he wanted like the pagan world to kind of spread. So he he wanted to get his, his whole pagan priest. So he's like, look, we need to be more charitable. We need to be more kind. And so he, he would, he would put charges out so that these people, that the pagans would actually start being nice, but it never succeeded because they didn't have practices, nor did they have convictions that actually undergirded this conviction. So it just fell away. But not so among the Christians. And I think that's so fascinating as we think about who we are now in the 21st century in Long Beach, that we actually have an opportunity to be people who love radically those around us, the least of those among us, the strangers among us, and that perhaps that might be a way through which God would share his life to the world. And we have practices and convictions in our faith that undergird such a life, that make it sustainable. And one of the core convictions or practices that the Christian church engaged in, that Jesus himself engaged in, that I want to talk about for the remainder of the time, is the Christian practice, simple practice of hospitality. That this is actually one of the things that Jesus himself, through his life, revealed as a core practice of the Christian faith. 
And we can talk about what it looks like to be hospitable, and I can give you very practical things, you know, about how well you need to have people into your home, and, and, and you need to sit down with them, and, and we can talk that way. But I think that we are actually, we have a lot of creativity here in the room to think about how we can be hospitable, but one of the things I think I need constantly is a reminder that, that this is something that is actually core of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live the life of Jesus. Because underneath this idea of hospitality is this posture of being, of opening my life up to other people. And that's my question to us and to you. Do we open our lives up to other people? An emphasis on the word other. Do we share our table with people who are different from us? When you think about the table whether that's very specific in the people that you have over to your home and the people sitting around, the people you make dinner for, or whether it's figurative or metaphorical, the people that you spend time with, are the people that you are around, that you open your life up to, are they people who Jesus might say are the least of these or the strangers among us? What type of people, who do you open up your life to, do you share your table with? Christine Pohl, who's a scholar specifically looking at hospitality as a Christian virtue, says this, A quick review of Jesus' life and ministry finds hospitality at the center. Jesus is both guest and host. That's, that's amazing, right? Jesus is both guest and host. Dependent on others for welcome and startlingly gracious in his welcome to outsiders, seekers, and sinners. Meals were central to Jesus' ministry, and a shared meal soon became the center point of Christian worship. Hospitality is a lens through which we can read and understand much of the gospel, and a practice by which we can welcome Jesus himself. The table, opening our lives up to others, is central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, central to what it means to love our neighbor, central to what it means to look out and to live for the least of these and inviting in the stranger among us. The table, this table that we are going to engage in this morning together. And so my, my question, or I think God's question to me this week is, who, who is my life open up to? Do I even open up my life? Who do I allow in? There's a, there's a man named Jean Vanier, and I don't know if you're familiar with his story, but this is a man who is absolutely remarkable to me. He, is a, he was a really smart French guy who has a PhD and, wanted to, and was going to go into academia and actually was confronted with people around him who had intellectual disabilities. And he wasn't sure what, like, what to do with the people that, that he was actually confronted with. Because it looked like these people were kind of just pushed to the wayside. They were left pretty much in the dirt on the side of the road, figuratively speaking. But he couldn't, as a Christian, just overlook the least of those among him, the strangers in his midst. Instead, he needed to welcome them in and to open up his life to him. So he actually began to form what's called the La Arche Communities. 
And these, these communities are actually communities of people who, where there are people with intellectual disabilities who come and live with, with other people who wouldn't be defined by that necessarily. And his, his vision of life in these, in these homes, in these communities, is not so much that here are the people who seem really good and well, able to do things for these other people who are, who are disabled in some way. No, his vision for life is that they actually coexist together and live life together, and each of them have something to offer one another. It's a really beautiful picture, I think, of, of what it means to, to open up your life. And he says this about the church. Welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we aren't afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and of peace to share. A community which refuses to welcome, whether through fear, wariness, insecurity, a desire to cling to comfort, or just because it's fed up with visitors, is dying spiritually. It's like, those are pretty serious words, which brings to mind the question, how, is, how do we welcome people? Are we a community of welcome? Am I a person of welcome? Is my family a family of welcome? Are people, no matter who they are or where they're from, are they invited to my table? And so what's one of the things that gets in the way of hospitality? I think one of the things, one of the primary things that gets in the way of hospitality is our easy dismissal of people. This last weekend, I had an opportunity to um, drive for about six hours in a car with some friends. Um, and, and one of my friends suggested we listen to this TED Talk because that's what nerds do. They say, let's listen to a TED Talk um, or a podcast. Actually, no, let's choose a podcast and we're going to come and talk about why we chose that podcast. Yeah. So anyway, um, my, my friend said we should listen to this TED Talk. And it's by this novelist named Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And she's, she's a novelist who wrote, wrote a novel and other short stories um, entitled uh, Americana. And this TED Talk is called The Danger of a Single Story. And what she shares in this TED Talk is that we often have single stories about people or groups of people. And thereby, it becomes easy for us to dismiss them. One of the stories she tells is that, that she actually grew up in Nigeria and in, in kind of like a middle-class family. And she said that there was, a, there was a, house, a house boy, someone who took care of their house, and that, that came from a poor family, and his name was Fida. And she said that the family, her family, would tell her um, that, that this boy was poor, came from a, a, a poor family. Well, Chimamanda, when she went to go visit this Fida's family, his mother, Fida's mother, actually showed Chimamanda something that they made, something that they crafted with their hands. And she, told, she tells the story that it was so striking to her that she had this single story about this boy who was poor that it never occurred to her that they could actually make something. Because in her mind, the single story she told about this family was they were poor. She also tells the story about when she went to college, Drexler College, I think, 
or university, that she was, she was with a roommate who's from America, and, and Chimamanda speaks good English, and the roommate was like, well, you speak, you speak really, really good English. And Chimamanda realized that, that, that this person, her roommate, had a single story about her and what it means to be from Africa. And she said this, she said, Rye roommate had a single story of Africa, a single story of catastrophe. In this single story, there is no possibility of Africans being similar to her in any way. No possibility of feelings more complex than pity. No possibility of a connection as human equals. Because of this single story that her roommate had of Chimamanda, like she couldn't possibly know English, she couldn't possibly come from a middle-class family because she was from Africa. And so that's, I've just not been able to stop thinking about this idea and confronted with the question of what are the single stories I tell about people, that I tell about groups of people? And what are the single stories that we tell about groups of people, that you tell about groups of people? And how, through those single stories, do we actually dismiss people and not get to know them and hear their story. I mean, do you have a single story about, about people who are homeless? Do you have a single story about people who are poor? Do you have a single story about people who are rich? Do you have a single story about people who've experienced divorce? Do you have a single story about people who come from different religious backgrounds? A single story about Muslims, a single story about Catholics, you name it. Do you have a single story about people who are gay? Do you have a single story about your parents? About your kids, about your brothers, about your sisters? Do you have a single story about someone from a different race? What are the single stories that you have about people? What are the single stories I have about people? And how might those single stories about people actually get in the way of me encountering Jesus through another? What are the single stories that we might be telling? And that's why I think hospitality is so key because hospitality in opening our lives up to other people is actually a way to break down those single stories. When you have people who are different from you at your table and you listen to their story, then all of a sudden it's impossible to have a single story about a whole group of people because you have that person's story, which is going to be unique and different from another person's story. And that's the beautiful thing, I think, about the life of Jesus, is that he, he was able to open up his life to others and to not dismiss people by a single story, which is why he could, at his table, or be invited into the homes and sit at other people's tables who were tax collectors and sinners. It's why it was possible for him to, when catching a woman in adultery, 
to actually say your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. I mean, Jesus is the epitome of what it means to open one's life up to other people so that single stories might be broken down. And when we see people differently, when we let the single stories sort of fall by the wayside and we open our lives up to other people, then our world is actually broadened and there are parts of our lives that are actually awakened in new ways. And I think one of the best pictures of this for me is from the film called The Visitor. And The Visitor is a film in which there's this, there's this professor named Walter and it's a small and it's a quiet film. And this guy, Walter, is, is um, a, a widowed man who's a, who's a professor um, at this college. And he teaches just one class. His life is actually really boring. He has no life. If you, at the beginning of the movie, that's the whole thing. Is he's trying to learn piano. He's gone through four different teachers. He's just teaching this class. He's literally a visitor in this thing we call life. And then, then they, he, he gets asked to go to this, to this conference in New York City, and he has an apartment there, and he goes to this apartment, and he actually opens up the door, and there are people staying there. Because the person who's supposed to be managing this apartment was illegally renting it out to other people. And so he, he, he comes across this Syrian man and this Senghalese woman, and they're a couple, and they're to get together, and they've been living there. And this catches him off guard, and he's trying to get them out at first. And, and, but they tell them their story. They're actually in the country illegally. They have no place to go, and he begins to sympathize with them. And the beautiful thing about this film is when, he opens it, when Walter opens up his life to these two people, parts of his life are awakened that for the most of his life were dead. All of a sudden, he, he wants... He wants to not just learn how to play an instrument, but he begins to learn to love music. And he begins to understand how to actually, what, the, what that means to love music and to communicate through music and what others are communicating to him through music. He becomes engaged in these people's stories, and I'm not going to give away the plot. I want to so bad. So you gotta, this, is, this is an act of love. Um, uh, but he, what happens is because of his willingness to share his home, his table, his life with these people, he begins to care about things that he never would have cared about otherwise. And he begins to be passionate and in some ways like, um, like an advocate for these people. And his life again is given meaning because of the way he opens up his, his life to these other people's stories. And it's a really beautiful transformation. And it's a very wonderful film. But the thing is, is that once we start opening our lives up to others, once we begin to share our lives with other people and let other people share their lives with us, we begin to care about things we never saw coming. And all of a sudden, there are things about our world and our lives that are just much more beautiful and whole than they were before. I have friends in this community who have opened up their life in a very remarkable way to a person in need, and as a result, I've been, I've been challenged, and they've begun to care about things that they didn't even know they had the capacity to care for. And their imagination is running wild, and it is absolutely inspiring. Because, I believe, they were following Jesus and simply wanting to share their lives with someone who was other than them because they didn't let a single story get in the way where they were able to dismiss someone. 
And here's the, here's the word I think that God has for us this morning. Is that through others, through the stranger, through the least of these, through the people we might want to dismiss by a single story, those are the places, those are the people where we actually get to meet Jesus. Those are the people we can actually encounter Christ afresh. And that's incredible. And it's not simply me giving something to someone so that they can see Jesus. No, it's actually me opening my life up to someone so that I might meet Jesus. That's the crazy thing about the gospel. That's the crazy thing about the story. That's the crazy vision that Jesus offers to us. And we have an opportunity to participate in that. And this morning, we have a very practical, tangible way of participating in that this morning. Because if there is one single story that is true of all of us, it's here. And that one single story is that God himself gave up all so that we might have life. And that is the thing that brings us together. That is the thing that unites us. And so we're going to share in the table together. And this morning we're actually going to be giving one another the bread and the wine. We're going to be people who make the claim that we have received the hospitality, the generosity of God, and that it's through us also that others experience and receive the generosity and hospitality of God. I mean, that's a remarkable claim that I think only the church has.